0: Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada with episode number 44 of The Yacking Show. This is where we talk about life, business and more. And we bring you tips and ideas for surviving and living in the changing world we find ourselves in today. As always, we have a a list of interesting guests for you to listen to and watch. And today is certainly no exception. But first, I must welcome Kathleen, and she will introduce our guests. Hello, Kathleen. How are you doing in Kitchener this afternoon? (laughs) Hello,
1: Peter. I am well, thank you. And thank all of you for joining us, as per usual. We so uh, appreciate you tuning in to our shows, and of course, we enjoy reading your comments, so please keep them coming, and uh, and if any of you are interested in being interviewed for our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself, and as Peter was saying, we have another special guest with us today, and we'd like to welcome Jill Armijo. Thank you, Jill, for being with us today, and uh, Jill is a fabulous published author, blogger, and coach, and we're going to go into exactly what she does. Well- Jill.
2: Hi, thank you, Kathleen and Peter. Welcome to you guys, to my world for a few minutes. (laughs) And uh, so so Jill, go ahead
1: and tell our viewers and our listeners a little bit about your background and what it is that you do.
2: Okay, what's been really interesting to me about your um, audience is that people are so fascinating and they have been through so much and dabbled in this and worked through that. And each person is just so um, interesting. And and it's been really great to, to hear the varied experiences that one person has gone through in their life to get them to where they are. And I think that was really instrumental in um, the transformation that took place as I wrote my book. I, I put off writing my book for years and years and years because I raised a family and my husband, and has schizophrenia. and I finally wrote it as I was waiting and waiting and waiting for my sons to take turns helping me with all my tech. To as I was uh, learning to put my business online, and uh, I just had all these blank spaces. And I thought, you know, I might as well write my book. And I just thought it was going to be a big, awful chore. And I just thought, I just need to get this out there. People keep telling me, so I'm just going to do this. But writing my book was the best therapy for me ever because I got lots of perspective on my journey with my husband uh, since his return from the Gulf War and perspective on my um, flower child days with my dad on a big pink school bus with yin-yang signs and and stuff. And um, all the perspectives and the different things that brought me to where I was able to actually write a book and I had a good coach that helped me to write a book. And so, yeah, I just, I've had a lot of different experiences and we all have, and that's what prepares us for what we're doing right now.
0: Right. Very interesting. So you've spoken a bit about your book, but you're also a coach. So how did you get into coaching? Jill?
2: Well coaching was what I started out with and the way okay. that I got into that is that I've been a physical therapist assistant for 30 years but I had uh, neglected my self-care in one specific area. I was quite addicted to eating when i was nervous and eating of course when we're nervous and and want to do some mm-hmm. emotional eating we don't go for the carrots and the green beans we we go for the cookies and stuff and i had eaten my way into a lot of arthritis i was stuck in a wheelchair i was overweight i was miserable and i could not do therapy anymore because i couldn't even walk for about 3 months i was in that wheelchair until yeah. i thought what am i going to do i still have to provide for my husband cuz he can't and so I decided to put myself through health coaching school because that seemed to be quite in alignment with my therapy practice. I loved teaching people about their bodies all of these years and helping them to gain some power and some knowledge and the fact that life isn't happening to them, they can, you know, get better. And so I went to health coaching school and I got out of my wheelchair just within a few weeks, just by practicing the things they were teaching me and But then I had already started. So I finished health coaching school and was really, really in alignment with helping people who are emotional eaters to lose weight. And that's what I started doing. And I had a whole bunch of clients, lived in a small town. So I kind of ran through my family and friends and decided to go online. And at the same time, I decided I didn't really want to help people lose weight, because I wasn't really a good weight loss coach, because I just love people how they are. And I'd be like, Oh, you don't really need to lose weight. (laughs) I wasn't very good at um, inspiring people to lose weight. And so I thought, what do I really get? What do I really understand that I want to help people with? And it dawned on me that I've been taking care of my husband for over 20 years, since the last time he tried to work and couldn't. And that a lot of people need help understanding their person with mental illness um, in being able to take care of themselves better emotionally. So I don't really get into um, a lot of the things that you should do as a caregiver, like write in your journal and say affirmations and get your nails done and take a hot bath and exercise and eat right. Even those things are all great. But what I focus on as a coach is your emotional health so that you can, you know, stop telling yourself all the lies that make you feel bad and then you want to eat. And so that's what I do with my coaching. And then, like I said, trying to figure out the tech. I had studiously avoided computers my entire life until I went to health coach school. So <laughs> I've had, I'm, I started from square one and I've learned something new every day. I'm so proud of myself. I've come a long, long way. And I'm still not. The expert at social media, but I'm getting there. Oh, so good for you. Oh, my goodness. And we'll, we'll get more into
1: about caring for caregivers in a moment. But first, I'm interested in t- to hear more about the book that you wrote. It's entitled Home of the Unknown Soldier, and um, in which you go into great detail uh, about your husband and some of this, the Events that happened to you. So, can you tell our viewers and listeners a little bit more about that book? And and um, I'm sure it was cathartic mm-hmm. for you to write it, but also great for lessons for everyone else out there that that should read it.
2: Yeah, it it like I said, it did give me a lot of perspective. And some of the perspective that it gave me just right off the bat, and then I'll talk a little bit more about the book was that nothing in our life has actually gone wrong and people might agree, disagree with me but my life has gone and my husband's life and our children's lives i told myself for years and years and years my kids don't deserve this i can't do this anymore and all these dumb things but our lives have gone exactly as they should and and they're beautiful like i love my husband so much and it's because of what we've been through that we have such a close relationship. I don't know if we would have learned the things that we've learned any other way, just because of our own personalities. And, um, I believe in God and I believe that nothing is a surprise to God and that he has a plan for each of us. And we're just down here figuring out how to get, you know, all the things done that he, he knows that we can and to just be happy. And so my book, starts out with an episode where my husband came home from work one day positive that somebody at work had tried to kill him and i had been suspecting for several years that he was schizophrenic but i was in serious denial for a long time even after this episode i was still in denial and i even kept telling him oh you're just being paranoid when he'd say the guys are talking behind my back or so-and-so did this, and can we get barbed wire for the yard, and we need to do this, and all of this stuff. He knew when Jesus was going to come one morning because of a math equation he did, and he doesn't even do math very well, and it's just all of his delusions um, created um, an environment for me to learn to get on his page instead of expecting him to um, see reason. When someone is in a panic, when they're afraid, it's like a drowning person. And if you go out there and drown with them, that's not helpful at all. You've got to go out there and be in charge and you've got to save them, but you've got to understand how afraid they are and help them to feel safe first, or you're never going to be able to save them. And so that's kind of, The journey that I've taken, it took me a long time to to get there. And actually, our children have been our caregivers more than I've been my husband's caregiver because they were very little. My youngest was in the cooker when he landed in the hospital. And our kids have said things over the years like, Mom, you know you didn't handle that very well. And Mom, stop trying to defend me. I'm okay. I can handle this. And my husband's never been violent, but he's really in your face a lot. And I was the mother bear a lot, and just not useful at all. And so our kids, uh, they love and respect and and just honor their dad. And I don't, I don't know where I got these. Well, I know where I got them. I'm so grateful that Heavenly Father sent me these kids. And so I I learned that telling myself that my kids didn't deserve this was Baloney. My kids totally deserved everything they got because that's how come they're the amazing adults that they are right now, that they have so much compassion for other people, that they're helpful, that they're honourable. And I don't have to worry a single whit about my children. They They've got it all together and it's because they had to take care of us.
0: Wow. <clears throat> that is a very good perspective on that because so often... We go into that woe-is-me role when uh, we think we're being hired Oh, I did. By.
2: <laughs> I did. It's in the book. <laughs> I'm <would've> sure.
0: <laughs> but uh, you were a very good um, advocate for getting out of it and a good example. Uh, I, I was going to switch and ask about your speaking because you, you do quite a bit of public speaking. So, so who do you speak to um, and what sort of venue, events, and what do you speak about?
2: So I don't do quite a bit yet. I am a speaker and I have spoken to very small groups, groups that have gotten together friends or um, other entrepreneurs that are, you know, maybe stuck and they need some encouragement. Um, They need to look at their brains. So what I do as a speaker is I actually just give a little bit of an introduction to my story. Not very much actually, because a lot of it sometimes comes out later. But what I want people to do is to talk about themselves when I speak. So it's very interactive. I have a whiteboard. I have um, participants um, tell me about something that's bothering them. And I first tell them something that's bothering me. And then I have the host or hostess, whoever has invited me to speak, I let them come to the whiteboard and they write down something that they've worked through in the past week or month or whatever. And sometimes these are just little silly things. A lot of times they're really silly little things because we want people to see how we um, talk to ourselves in ways that aren't helpful, but we can get into our brains and figure out why we're saying those things and figure out what's a better thing to say to ourselves that can help dig ourselves out of the misery that we're in. And people love to raise their hands and get coached. And so it's always a great time. It usually goes way over and um, I'm apologizing for going over, but nobody wants to leave. It's just so much fun. And people get some leverage in their, in their lives and no matter what complaint they come with. And most people come with a complaint, my mother-in-law this, or my husband, that it's always somebody who's a problem in their life. And they go away just loving that person so much and feeling compassion because they just saw what their brain is doing to their own self and they can figure out what really is the truth and what they want to believe about that person. And it's just so gratifying to see people love the person they came to complain about.
0: (laughs) Oh, very good.
2: Excellent. So um, I know that you work
1: a lot in coaching caregivers Uh, And I I want to delve into that a little bit because uh, one thing that I found very interesting on your website is uh, sometimes caregivers, I mean, there's some common feelings that caregivers will often feel. Um, One of them is this feeling of being trapped. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: And although they may love the person that they're caring for very, very much, but there is this sense of feeling a little bit trapped, like you, you... you have no choice, mm-hmm. but you
2: disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I'm so <laughs> glad you brought that, that one up because that is one of the main complaints that I hear amongst caregivers. I feel so trapped. I can't um, do my thing. I can't um, explore my my hobbies or I can't get out with my friends. I can't do this. I'm just trapped. And um, the thing is, I, I have been trapped with my husband for almost 25 years. COVID came around and it was no big deal because I've been holding up with my husband a lot of the time, not incessantly, because I do take care of myself. But trapped is is just what you're telling yourself. So the thing is, nobody is trapped into caregiving. Nobody is forced to caregiv.e They caregive, They are giving care to someone they love or care about because they chose to. And they chose to because, number one, they're probably going to be the best at it. Number two, maybe they love their person the most. They are doing it because that's how they want to show up in the world. That's who they are. They're amazing. They're strong. They're beautiful people. And they are willing to do it. They are not trapped. Nobody forced them to do it. And once people um, really realize that, it gives them a little bit of space. They just feel like, oh, yeah, I am doing this because I choose to, and I can walk away any moment that I want to. So going from there, instead of feeling like a victim, we get to figure out how we're going to show up for ourselves as caregivers so that we get our needs, needs met, so that we're happy, so that we are thriving because somebody who is sick needs somebody who is thriving to help them. A sick person does not need a person who is down in the dumps and unhappy and unhealthy and uh, depressed and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm on a happy pill. So <laughs> I'm not perfect, but you know, I I am so much nicer and so much happier when I'm taking really excellent care of myself. So we're not trapped, we're amazing. And so what do
1: you say to people that have um, maybe not feeling, maybe there is feeling of being trapped, but also it's out of sense of obligation. So for instance, if um, I'm thinking of somebody looking after a parent Mm -hmm. um, and they feel it's their obligation to do it, they want it. You're right. There is always a choice. I get that. But how, how, do you have any advice on how to overcome that sense of, I'm needed and I have to do this because I'm the only one who can. Is there, well, is there a way of dealing with that feeling and um, putting it in its place?
2: Yeah. <laughs> and I hate to be blunt, but they could totally walk away from their parent. Mm-hmm. I know people who have. Mm-hmm. I know people who have walked away from spouses. And I don't judge them because they did the thing they needed to do for themselves. They knew they wouldn't be happy. They knew they weren't up to it. They felt like they couldn't do it. So there are many people, actually 95% of people who are um, like needing a full-time caregiver who should be in nursing home, 95% of them are being cared for by family caregivers. There are way less people in nursing homes than there would be without family caregivers. That was a surprise to me when I learned that a couple of years ago. So um, I don't want anybody who has to walk away from a marriage or even a child or a parent or grandparent. I don't want them to feel like they're wrong or they're bad or they're weak because they are doing what is best for them. And I know people have walked, who have walked away from a child. I um, know people who have uh, said, no, I can't do this. And you know what, if they admit that they can't do it and they walk away, someone else takes care of them. Like seriously, the state doesn't let these people just rot in their house and die. And there's always family and friends who will see to it that that loved one is taken to a care center or an assisted living or the hospital or whatever it is where they need to go. So we truly are not trapped, no matter how obligated we feel. Mm -hmm. And obligation isn't a bad thing. But you need to um, check your thoughts and see whether you're doing it because you feel obligated, and whether that is creating emotions for you that are making you hate caregiving. Because the person you're caregiving doesn't need that, and they really should maybe be cared for by someone else, even if it's somebody who maybe doesn't love them as much as you do, because. And I've been a physical therapist for 30 years and Mm. I loved my patients and I know the CNAs loved our patients. And yes, you get a bad egg once in a while and yes, they're too busy. They're under, under uh, staffed and underpaid, and it's not an ideal situation, but I know the nurses and the other therapists and the nurse assistants, we cared for our patients. We did our level best and, and, Sometimes we just had to do that. And I saw a lot of caregivers crash and burn who waited too long to let us take care of their loved one. And by Mm -hmm. the time that happened, sometimes they were in the bed next to their loved one because they were the one that had to be admitted. And we admitted their loved one too because we had to take care of both of them at that point. So you're not trapped. It's just a thing we tell ourselves. You truly are not trapped. Anybody else can take care of your... And if you you have to take grandma to the nursing home, you're still a caregiver. She still knows whether you love her by if you call her and if you go to her window and say hi, because we can't go in anymore. And um, they will not feel deserted. They might be angry. They might feel hurt, but they will know that you still love them. They will know it better than if you keep them at home and you abuse them or neglect them them or abuse yourself they don't want you to be abusive to yourself either like I have so many patients over the years who have said I wish she wouldn't um keep me at home like they want to go to a care center my grandma wanted to go to a care center we had seven kids in our family And it was noisy and my mom was always yelling, of course, and it was just mayhem in our house. And my grandma kept saying, would you guys please take me to the Golden Living Center because it's quieter there. So they finally took her to the Golden Living Center and they had guilt, but she was so happy and she found a boyfriend and she, like, it's not the end of the world if your loved one has to go to the care center. (laughs) Right,
0: yeah. Yeah. So. Jill, I I was reading some of your blog posts on your blog, and the one in particular interested me. Uh, it's titled The Nine Most Useless Words. And <laughs> we all, I know, we were, Kathleen and I were talking about that this morning. We all fall into that trap. Someone yes. has lost somebody or, or had a huge upset in their life. And all we do is say, let me know what I can do or call me if you need help. I can't remember which of your nine words instead of doing something concrete and specific. So what, what is your advice for our audience on that one?
2: My, uh, my advice is to download the freebie because it's so great what it is. So the nine most useless words are, let me know if there's anything I can do. And we say that with heartfelt meaning. We really do want to help them. And we, as a caregiver, we really hear that. And we think, yes, I sure will. And we really mean it. We're like, yeah, I've really got to call that person whenever all hell breaks loose next time. And then when we're in the shower, we think of 16 things we need to help with. But then when that person shows up at our door, we go blank. And, and another part of the problem is that as caregivers, we know what we do all day and it feels hard. And when somebody comes to the door We don't know what they're capable of doing, what they're willing to do. If it's a little old lady, they don't want to maybe, you know, go help grandpa go to the potty. So we have to um, try to, we have this little game with ourselves. What are they willing to do? What can they do? And then we don't ever ask them to do anything. And this little old lady maybe could sit down and read books with our kids and take a load off of our hands and help us so that we can go you know, make dinner or whatever. Or, or somebody could bring us a meal. We could say, you know, I just really feel like some cookies right now. Do you wanna just go home and make some cookies and bring and they'd be thrilled to do it. But we don't know that and they don't know what we want. So my, my, um, my um, little book, that's the nine most useless words, is nine pages in nine nine categories of things that you might need and things that other people could do. There's 101 things that um, are listed and it just gives you ideas so that you can um, hand that to either the caregiver or the do-gooder. You can hand it whoever you are and whatever reason you got the little booklet, you can hand it to them and say, pick something And then they can just pick something they can decide they like to do whether they can fix your light bulb or help you with your um you know printer or whatever it is they they can pick something that they're good at that they know you need and you can um just hand that to whoever and it's it's a really nice little tool i've had some people tell me how easy it was when their minister came over or when their friend came over and they said let me know if there's anything i can do and they said "Well." Sure. And you, you know, when you get it, you circle the things that you need because not everybody needs childcare and not everybody needs personal care and blah, blah, blah. So
0: no, very good. And people can download that from your website. And that's a good point to ask you, how can people get in touch with you?
2: Um, it's really easy. If you can figure out how to spell my last name and I guess it'll be in the notes. So it's just jillarmijo.com www.jillarmijo.com and my um, email is because you're welcome to email me, is jill at jillarmijo.com.
0: That's great. And uh, <clears throat> just a reminder to our audience, listeners, and viewers, that will be in the those contact details are in the description at the front of the video and the podcast and captions on the video. So we have a couple more minutes. Jill, you are so interesting, we're not going to let you go. Kathleen, <laughs> have you got something else to ask Jill?
1: And you know what, Jill? I I I so appreciate what you said about caregivers and and some some of the th- things that caregivers think and feel and being feeling of defeat. But you're right. There's always choice, and that is such a great reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also empowering empowering for the caregivers to know that they're not trapped. They do have the the ability to just walk away or say no, or if they're not the appropriate person to find somebody else that can step in, in their place. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful reminder. So thank you for that.
0: Mm. I'm gonna jump in with something for Jill. Uh, Jill, in this age of some, I would call it chaos and divisiveness we're seeing, and it's not just because people don't like your president, don't get me wrong, and I'm, I, I don't dislike him at all. It just seems that all over the Western world, and I can't speak for the other parts of the world, society is, is getting more and more divided. And I'm not, I'm not interested in who's right and who's wrong, left, right, or whatever. It just seems there's a huge amount of aggression and argument. And, uh, and then we talk to someone like you who's, who's had a tough role to play in life, let's be honest. And you've got it all together and you've got some really good advice for people on how to handle it. Um, what's your take on, on why we are where we are in, in the greater society right now?
2: Well, that's a really big question. And I think a big part of it is um, comparison. So I think when we compare ourselves with somebody else's life, whether we, if we compare our husband with somebody else's husband, when we compare um, anything, there's this little niggling of, of pride that seeps in and whether we think we're better than somebody else or whether we think they have it better, or no matter what we think, we are tempted to be angry, maybe to the point of being militant. And I think that um, social media has fueled the comparisons. And I just think that um, social media is wonderful. Um, everyone's wonderful and everybody has their reasons for doing things. And the reason we're so divided is just because we're comparing instead of just accepting and loving. And I um, just, when I coach people, they usually come to me saying, um, my sister is blah, 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 blah. And I just make sure that when I coach that person, I have all kinds of love for their sister. And they can't tell me anything that's going to make me think that sister is as horrible as they think they are, because I know that sister is probably doing her level best. The guy on the street begging for money is doing his level best. Everybody's doing their, their best. And when we, when we compare ourselves with others, we fail to notice that everyone is just doing their best and everyone is a hundred percent lovable. They might not be somebody we want to shack up with or, Um, agree with, but we can still love them for who they are and stop. coming.
0: Wow. Thank you. That that was great. And my very last one before I hand over to Kathleen, did you watch our episode where we interviewed Nancy Lou Henderson from Texas, another author with a story somewhat parallel to yours, but with some differences? Um, She would really enjoy hearing from you. And I think you would enjoy seeing her work. So, She was in one of our earlier episodes, Nancy Lou Henderson, lovely lady. I
2: haven't heard that one. I will definitely look her
0: up. Lovely lady. And uh, she puts a lot on Facebook. And that's it for me. So I'm going to hand over to Kathleen to finish up.
1: Yes. Thank you so much, Jill. Thanks, Peter. And thank all of you for joining us once again. And uh, again please keep your comments coming. We so enjoy them. And one more time, if you ever have are interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to Peter or myself.
2: Thank you, Jill. Thank you. And we will see you you
1: next next time. Okay.
2: Thanks, Kathleen and Peter. Thanks, everybody.